Chapter 12 of The Little Foresters, A Story of Field and Woods. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jim Gallagher. The Little Foresters, A Story of Field and Woods by Clarence Hawks. Chapter 12 a night with rough grouse. It was Christmas Eve, and the great red sun was fast sinking behind the western hills, leaving a trail of fire as red as the pathway of a comet. Out of the east the shadow folk were trooping, driving the children of the sun before them over hill and valley and far away. It was pleasant, though, to think, as one saw the sunlight and gladness retreating, that away on the other side of the world the children of the sun were driving the shadow people who were fleeing in terror before their bright faces. It was bitter cold, and the wind howled dismally in the treetops, making the great branches to groan and writhe as though they were possessed of feeling and it hurt them to be so violently handled. It seemed to Rough Grouse, as he swayed to and fro in the treetop where he was getting his supper, that the night had never looked so cheerless and uninviting. The wind rocked him so violently that he could hardly keep his perch, and occasionally, when he got more boisterous than usual, showers of snow rattled down upon him. But Ruff was a hardy fellow, and it was not these things that bothered him. He was having considerable difficulty in finding his supper. Mast had not been so scarce in the whole course of his existence, and the buds had been kept back by the extreme cold so that there was very little nourishment in them, and beside all this, the birch in which he was hard at work had been cropped by Ruff and his friends, and by two or three red squirrels, until there was very little supper to be had, bad as it was. The cold numbed his toes so that he could hardly hold on, and presently the wind grew so violent that Ruff gave up on the task and flew into the top of a hemlock to shelter himself and get warm, and in the meantime to think of some new place to find supper. The lengthening shadows told him that he must be quick about it or else trust to the moon, which was not always a safe thing to do, as the moon was fickle, and budding by moonlight exposed one to the peril of being picked up by an owl, and Danger, the great white owl who terrorized all the little foresters, had long had his eye on Ruff, following him persistently. But cold and hunger bred recklessness in Ruff that night, so at last he started off on a hazardous enterprise, which is no more or less than to get his supper off a fine greening tree almost under the farmer's nose and within easy reach of the thunderstick. So he went sailing away over the treetops, flying as only a partridge can fly to the orchard. The pale white stars were just pricking through the steely blue sky, and the night would soon be on. Presently he plumped down in the greening tree and fell to work on the delicious buds, stopping frequently, though, to listen and to watch every changing light and shadow about the house. The tree was so near the buildings that it had not been touched by any of Ruff's friends, even the saucy red squirrels had shunned it, and the buds were very plenty. How sweet they were after the dry birch buds, and how lucky he had been to think of it. Ruff's crop, that had been so empty, was filling fast, but it was dangerous work, and more than once he stopped and was about to take wing, but lingered a minute longer to get just a few more buds. So intent was he on supper that he did not hear the shed window lifted carefully or see the thunderstick thrust out, but a sense of impending danger made him look up and he saw at once his peril. 
With a quick spring, like the flight of an arrow, he was off, flying low in hopes of put some friendly bush or fence between him and the marksman. But what bird, however strong of wing, can fly like the hailstones from the thunderstick that are propelled by lightning? There was a bright flash, a deafening roar, and a rush of the sharp pellets about Ruff. The force of the charge carried him several feet out of his course, and at first he thought he must fall, but with a great effort he nerved himself, stifled the pain, and flew on, for this was the only safe thing to do. When the smoke cleared away the farmer saw a few feathers flying in the breeze while the old partridge was sailing for the woods forty rods away. "'Aith, numb,' he growled, giving the old gun a shake. "'If I ain't missed him again! I believe this rusty old gun wouldn't kill a partridge if his head was stuck on the end! That blamed old thing!' and he shut the window with a bang. But he would have thought better of the gun had he seen the partridge plump down into the snowbank as soon as he reached the woods, and wriggle out of sight in the snow, leaving a trail of blood behind him. Poor Ruff snuggled as far down into the snow as possible, and then lay still, trying hard to forget the ache in his leg and the sharp pain in his wing. It was humiliating to have several of one's tail feathers shot away, and the beauty of that splendid fan upon which he so prided himself for the time being spoiled, but that was nothing compared to the possibility of a broken leg or wing. The tail feathers would grow again, and at the best they were merely ornamental, but a leg or a wing was quite another matter, and a partridge that could not fly might as well give up to the first fox that happened along. At the thought of a fox, Ruff remembered the blood spots that he had left upon the snow, and he knew that it was very dangerous for him to be lying where he was, with so plain a scent to tell of his whereabouts. So with a great effort he wriggled out of the snow and flew up into a treetop. His wing was not broken, though it hurt him terribly to fly. But it was so cold in the treetop that he was numbed in a few minutes, and the wind cut him like a knife. He never could spend the night in the tree. He would have to find a new spot in which to burrow, and be careful not to leave a scent upon the snow. So he picked out a spot where it was drifted and the snow looked soft, and plunged down in it with all his might. The force of his flight carried him in out of sight, and the wind filled up the hole and smoothed it over, and no one would have guessed that a live partridge lay buried in the drift. It was quite warm down there, and Ruff would have been comfortable had it not been for his wounded leg and wing. But the cold snow felt soothing to them, drawing out the fever and quieting the pain, so that he soon fell asleep and dreamed of spring and of drumming on the old log to call some lady partridge about and begin the spring courting. How long he slept Ruff did not know, but suddenly he awoke with the same sensation of danger that he had felt just before the farmer shot him. He lay very still and listened, for nothing is ever gained by hasty action in a time of danger. He could hear a sound above him like something digging and then an occasional sniff. Ruff's feather stood up with fright and his eyes grew big with terror. It was Sir Reynard, and he was after him. The crafty old fox was hungry tonight. He had searched the laurel swamp for a rabbit, but having found none was on his way home to the spruces when he scented the blood spots from Ruff's first plunge in the snow, and then by circling round and round he found his second plunge and was now digging stealthily for him. There was one hope of escape. Ruff had taken the precaution to burrow several feet in the snow towards a shallow place. He now hoped to reach this place in the drift before the fox reached him. He began quietly burrowing away from the sound of the fox's digging. He could not dig very fast lest the fox might hear him, and all the time Sir Reynard was getting nearer and nearer to him. It was a fearful moment for Ruff, 
but his quick wit and strong nerve did not forsake him. At last he could feel the snow giving about him, but the fox was almost upon him, and he could hear his eager sniffing and frantic digging. With a quick motion he brushed the snow away, and with a whir of his wings rose in the air, but he was not quicker than the lithe fox that sprang at him as he rose. There was a snap of the hungry jaws, and Sir Reynard's teeth closed upon Ruff's toes, but not strongly enough to hold him, and the partridge broke away and whirred over the treetops into the darkness. "'I'll have you yet!' snarled the fox, and the wind repeated his threat. "'I'll have you yet! I'll have you yet!' until it seemed to the partridge that the night was filled with terror. He flew for several minutes and then alighted in the top of a spruce to consider where to spend the night. He had barely settled into the treetop when he noticed a great white object in the branches above him, and a moment later he became aware of two big yellow eyes looking hungrily down upon him. It was danger, the white owl, and the terror of the forest at night. It was lucky for Ruff that the top of the spruce was very thick, and that there were several brushy limbs between him and the owl. "'Woo! Woo!' cried Danger, startled by Ruff's precipitate flight into the spruce. It took him a moment to collect his wits, and then he dove for the partridge. But Ruff, realizing his danger, slipped up between the friendly branches of the spruce and was off with the owl in hot pursuit. Ordinarily Danger would have been no match for him in flight, but tonight, with his crippled wing, it was a race for life and death, danger having the advantage, as he could see better than Ruff by night. He flew with a steady flop, flop, the sound of which made Ruff anxious to say the least. But the partridge, with all his native cunning, made sudden turns to the right and left, and each time the owl would fly by the turning point, losing a few feet in the race. At last, by turning, twisting, and dodging, Ruff drew away from his pursuer till he could no longer hear the monotonous flop, flop of his wings. Then he plunged into the top of another spruce to listen, and he heard the owl go by a few rods away, the sound of his wings dying away in the distance. For several minutes Ruff waited in anxious suspense for the return of the owl, but hearing nothing he concluded that he had eluded his pursuer, which was the case. He was tired and cold. The wind rocked the tree so violently that he could not sleep, even had his wounds permitted. He wondered whether it was better to stay in the treetop all night and freeze to death, or to risk another dive in the snow with a chance of being picked up by a fox. Surely the same one that had disturbed him before would not do it again that night, for his flight from the owl had carried him several miles from home. After debating the question pro and con, Ruff decided that he would rather be eaten up at once than freeze by degrees, so he plunged down into the snow, and again the friendly winds blew the hole full and screened him from all prying eyes. Once safely tucked in his snowbed, where the cold drew the pain from his wound and the warm blanket shielded him from the wind and the cold, he fell asleep and slept soundly until morning. When he awoke and wriggled painfully out of the snow, the sun was shining brightly and there was no evidence of the terrible experiences of the night before. Near at hand was a birch, upon the buds of which Ruff got a hasty breakfast. He then took his bearings by the sun and the looks of the forest, for he was several miles from home, and as he had come in the night, did not at once know what direction to take. But presently he rose above the treetops and sailed away. To you and me there would have been very little to go by, but not so with Ruff. He had been born in the forest and had always lived there. He knew all of its winding avenues and devious turnings. Straight away he flew to the east, and after a half-hour's flight arrived at the old birch where he had tried to get his supper the night before.
Presently Bob, the old cottontail who lived in the laurel swamp nearby, came hopping along under the spruces. "'Hello, Ruff!' he cried as soon as he caught sight of the partridge. "'I say, old fellow, what is the matter with your tail? It looks as though someone had mistaken you for a goose and tried to pick you. But—' On seeing the partridge's woe-begone look, he said, "'Say, old chap, you haven't been shot at, have you?' Then Ruff flew down upon the snow beside Bob and told him all of his experiences of the night before, to the great astonishment of the rabbit. "'Whatever possessed you to venture so near the house?' asked Bob in genuine surprise. "'We consider you the most cautious of us all.' "'I was hungry,' said Ruff. "'And one will do almost anything if he is hungry.' "'Sir Reynard is a bad one,' said Bob, when Ruff came to that portion of his story. "'You and I both owe him a grudge, and we'll pay him off some day. You see if we don't.' And they did. When Ruff had finished his story, and both the rabbit and the partridge had heaped vials of wrath upon the fox and the owl, Bob hopped away to tell the news to Mrs. Rabbit, and Ruff went into the deep woods to rest after the terrible exertions of the night before. End of chapter 12 Recording by Jim Gallagher